Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. Well, last week we started a conversation and um, I was tempted to just jump straight into the content because you're uh, clearly an above average audience. Um, But I feel like this deserves like one of those previously on the first episode of Heaven, Hell and Everything in Between because it's like, what in the world are we talking about? It's such a strange title. Uh, If you were here last week, welcome back. If you weren't here last week, I'm gonna do my best to give you a quick recap of what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about the fact that uh, in the world, there the the, uh, scriptures, the way it talks, about the Bible, the way it talks about the world is a little bit strange and it's a little bit different. And, and you can see this as mystical or kind of the do, 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 but it talks about two major forces in the world and the two major forces being heaven and hell. Now, if you're uncomfortable with that, or you're not sure if you believe in heaven and hell as physical places, that's okay. We're not even talking about that. We're just talking about the fact that there's two competing forces in the world. You probably believe in good and evil, or the forces of light and darkness. Um, that's, that's totally fine for now. But the way most people see the world is that, that there's heaven and hell, and there's sort of everything in between. Everything sort of in between heaven and hell and heaven's up there and hell's down there. And we're sort of in this in between, but that's not the way the scriptures talk about this. The scriptures talk about uh, heaven as a reality. There, there's, there's two forces and there's two realms, but the realms are the seen and the unseen. And heaven and hell both exist in the seen and the unseen realm. Last week, we also talked about the fact that, that um, many uh, uh, scientists, Physicists specifically uh, believe in more unseen uh, dimensions than they do seen dimensions. But I don't have time to catch you up on all the, that we talked about last week. But the, the, the genesis of our conversation is, is that there's forces of heaven and forces of hell that are pulling and pushing on our lives. And, and the reasons, reason this is important, and Paul told us, is because these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your own good intentions, Whatever your intentions are, they are, they are. And I told you last week that this is what the, the Bible says is, is that these two forces are so strong. They're so, so strong in our world and in your life that one of the two of them are governing your life. There's something governing your life and it's not you. These two forces are constantly at work against each other in your life. And, and the, the big question we're trying to answer, the big question we're trying to address is what's really going on in the world? And you've experienced this before. You've looked at things. You've looked at the news. You look at people's lives and you think, what in the world is going on? You think about some of the things we're debating in our world world now, some of the new social challenges we're facing in our world. And you're like, it's especially when things go wrong or things are going wrong and there's no resolution. It's like, what in the world is going on? And last week we discovered that what the scriptures teach us, this, this timeless wisdom says, what it suggests 
is that there's two forces fighting against each other. And every day you and I make choices. They seem, they don't seem like spiritual choices, but every day you and I make choices. And what we do is we either bring down the goodness of heaven into our lives, or we pull up the chaos of hell into our lives. That, that this is what happens in our decision-making each and every day. And whether you realize it or not, these two forces are exerting themselves on your life and on your decision-making and, and on your thinking uh, all the time. Now, this is a part of something bigger called a worldview. Some of you may have studied worldviews. You've, you've, you've thought about worldviews before. Um, a worldview is simply a framework of ideas or beliefs that formulate our perspectives on, interpretations of, and interactions with the world around us. Now, I'm going to push you to think a little more broadly and, a little, and even a little more deeply today. The reality is, is you have a worldview and that worldview affects your beliefs and your decisions and your behaviors. And there's five fundamental questions. I don't have time to, to unpack all of them. There's five fundamental questions that are, that are right here that form a worldview. And some of you, you, you may have thought through these things specifically. The, the, the first question is, what's uh, the ultimate truth source? What is, when you, when you look at the world, is there an ultimate truth source? And what is it? Is it you? Is it your experience? Is, is it the collective wisdom of the world? What is it? Uh, why is there something instead of nothing? It's, it's the, the question of origins and meaning. And, and where is all of life headed? Is it ultimately headed somewhere? And, and does this end up somewhere? What are the things, or excuse me, why are things the way they are? It's sort of the conditions of our world. And then how are problems fundamentally solved? And these are, these are five questions that whether you know it or not, you have answers to. Whether conscious or unconscious, you've answered all of these questions and they formulate a worldview that you have. And it's sort of the operating system for your, for your life. And whether you know it or not, your answers to these questions, your thoughts around these, your perspective on it, it governs your beliefs and your decisions and your behaviors. It, it's, it's a lens through which you see the world, if you will. And uh, one of the other things, if you, if you sort of do a little bit of a historical study, is that our, our, our worldviews have been heavily influenced by the culture and time in which we live. And you know this, people in different parts of the world think differently, and people from different, different generations, they think differently, and they, they operate differently. They have different answers to these questions. And we have, in our world, we've been heavily influenced by the postmodern era, some of you lived a, a good portion of your life in the, in mo the modern era. And then many of us have lived a, a lot of years in this postmodern era. We've headed into what's known as the meta-modern era. And all of these things are influencing us. But culture right now is most influenced by the postmodern thinking. And, and a, a dominant trait of postmodernism is pluralism. Pluralism uh, just meaning that that more than one thing can be true and, and exist as valuable at the same time, even competing ideas. And it's not that we sat down and decided this. This is a value that emerged in our world. And pluralism, almost by definition, is anti-hierarchy. Now, this is going to become important um, in, a, in a second. But it's anti-hierarchy, meaning there can't be anything that's ultimate. Because if there's anything that's ultimate, that's, that's elevating it above other things, which is almost offensive. People get canceled for things like that. And it's, it's the attempt to, to deny that there's an ultimate truth source, which is the first and, and really what all the other things in your worldview flow from. So this, this very thing is being debated. It's, it's not only being debated, it's sort of being denied that there is an ultimate truth source, which 
I would say is impossible. And, and, and not only is it impossible, um, the truth is, is this statement right here that there's no ultimate uh, truth or there's no ultimate truth source is itself a truth claim that has a source. So it, it, it's, not, it's not only not logical, but it's consistent with this pluralism idea and the, the, the anti-hierarchy idea. And, and the reason is, is because we have this quest. There's a value that has emerged and we've lifted it above, above, above all the other questions, above all the other things. And the value is true equality. What does it look like for all things and all people to be truly equal? And true equality has been this, this value that's been raised in our culture that each of us has our own truth. You have your own truth and I have my own truth. And my truth is valid and valuable. And your truth is valid and valuable. And your truth does not invalidate my truth, which sounds good until you apply half a brain cell to that. So I'm gonna push you to just be thoughtful for a second because most of the time you don't understand, but these, these values undergird the messages we receive in our culture. Equal opportunity is one thing. I don't have a problem with that. But the equality of ideas, the equality of values, the equality of pursuits, that's absurd. We, we all know that. I don't think anybody actually believes that you can have that sort of plurality in our lives, that, that all of values, what, regardless of what they are, that they're equal and that your values are, are as valuable and as equal as my values. Not all theories and ideas and, and outlooks and perspectives are valuable. Okay, one, one crazy example. Let, let's say that you all believe that we're all human. Is that a fair assessment? You all think we're all human. I don't believe that. I believe that some of us are dogs pretending to be human. Some of you are imposters and you're an advanced kind of dog and you're pretending to be a human. And I think it's okay. You should just be a dog. You should act like a dog. You should bark at kids and scare them. You should lick the real people around you and you can pee in public. It's totally fine because you're a dog. And you're looking at me like, who's the preacher who gave this guy the mic? This is absurd. Thank you. I could not agree more with you. Now I'll step off my soapbox for a second. This is where this thinking ultimately to an extreme, that's where this leads to. And I just want you to understand because this is the time and culture in which we live, whether you know it or not. Every day, these, these types of messages permeate our culture. They've been embraced and accepted in our culture. There's a shift that happened starting about a little, little over 100 years ago. And it had to do with the locus of authority, which just means the place of authority. Where do you position authority? Where do people or humans position authority? And, and in our culture in America, the locus of authority shifted significantly. It's the most significant shift. If you look sociologically in history, the most significant shift because it shifted from external to internal. Not, not from religious to secular. That's not what I'm talking about. It, it, not from, from collective uh, communal wisdom uh, to ancient wisdom. Not from modern times to ancient times. We're talking about from anything external to internal. And what that does is that inevitably places me. It places you at the top of the pyramid because these, these ideas are a pyramid of ideas that fit together. And the truth is, is they build upon one another. And, and we like this. And, and this is just a new version of something old. 
And the old thing is, how do I get me and my choice and my decisions and my values and what I want to the top? The promise is, you'll get what you want. You being your own ultimate authority will go well for you. But as we saw last week, it's, it's actually not true. It's, it's actually not reality. You're actually not in control. You're not governing your own life. There's one of two forces that are governing your life. And, and this is the genesis of everything that went wrong. And, but, but this construct right here, it affects our daily lives. And, and it, it causes us to have messages like this. I used to drive by this billboard um, every day uh, to and from my way to work. It says, you do you. Indulge in your individuality. Look, it's your life. And you should be able to do what you want to do with your life. I mean, you do you. This is, this is how, how um, this has permeated our culture. And, and if I'm being really honest, I see this throughout the church too. We've blended this cultural idea into our Christian worldview. Here, here's here's how, this, how, how that looks. Is with, with Christians in our world, the truth is, is, is I don't think Christians really see the Bible as, as an authority in their life. I mean, we, we've, we've blended this idea with, with our Christian values and, and our, our Christian views. And we'll only allow the Bible to govern our lives to the degree that we agree with it. And most people only see the Bible as authoritative until they disagree with it or until it disagrees with them. You see, we pick and choose. I like those verses. I don't like those verses. Uh, that's for somebody else. That's not for me. That's old. That's, 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 that we, we've moved past that in our culture. And, and this is what we do. And I, I'm not being, I'm not judging. I'm just saying the reason you do that is because Monday through Saturday, you get this. And you come in here on Sunday and somebody reads a verse or somebody stands up here and says, this is what God's will for your life is. And you're like, yeah, but that's, that's not for me. I'm going to do me. And, and, Fundamentally, the, the, the walk of, of a Christian is to walk the way of Jesus. And God's will doesn't line up too often or too well with you do you. It's like, okay, you know, the, the, the idea is to be, okay, God, your will be done in my life. Like that's the posture of Christians, but it's more like your will be done until my way is more fun. Like that's, that's kind of how we view, we view things. And, it, and it's, it's, it's reinforced. This is why this is, this is so, so challenging is because this is reinforced with messages in our culture each and every day. And you don't realize it, but it's ultimately the forces of evil, the forces of hell kind of coming up into your life, causing you to pull hellish things up in your, in your life. All, all this to say, I'm not telling you what you should believe, what, what you have to believe. Here's what I'm saying. You owe it to yourself to be honest with yourself about what your truth source is. What is your locus of authority? Like what, what ultimately governs your life? Because you have one. Everyone has one. And the apostle Paul knew this. And the apostle Paul, as he's writing to new Christians that, that he had shared the message with Jesus about and, and the freedom that comes with that and the new life that comes with that, that Jesus promised, he's seeing that they're trying to make decisions between old authority structures that they had in their lives and this new idea of surrendering their life to God and to his will for their life. And his, here's how he instructed uh, uh, some of the new followers of the way, as, as they were called, the Jesus followers, followers of the way. He said this, he said, look, since you've been raised to new life in Christ, 
Christ has a new life for you. He has a new way of life for you. He's promised life to the full for you. Since you've been raised to new life, that's the new path you're on with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Here's what he's saying. Strive for these things. As you're looking towards where, where should I strive for in my life? What should I be reaching toward? He's going, I want you to think on the realities of heaven. In fact, he, he, what he's saying is, look, if you want things to go well for you, here's how this works. You need to focus your attention. Your attention's important. What you focus your attention on, you're gonna move towards. Focus your attention on the realities of heaven. When I was a kid, um, we used to go on long road trips as a family. There was uh, me, my, my brother, and my sister, and then my parents. And we'd go on trips, and, and you know how this is. You know, we're traveling, and I'm going to show my age a little bit, but nobody wore seatbelts. Like, one of us was sleeping in the back window, one on the, ki- on, the, on the bench seat in the back seat, and one on the floor. And my dad would invariably somewhere, once it got dark, he'd be like, hey, let's have a competition. And what that meant in our car was two of us is hanging over the front seat because you're not wearing seatbelts, looking over the front. And the third one climbs over the front seat into my dad's lap and gets to steer, gets to drive the car, which you'd get put in jail. Don't judge my dad. He passed away 30 years ago. That's really ugly of you. (laughs) Sorry, just kidding. Um, So so you'd get put in jail for this, but we thought it was a blast as kids, you know. So the way the game worked is, you know, there's the, the reflectors on the side of the road. Yes, they had those back then. So they, they, they had reflectors on the side of the road and in the middle of the road. And if you hit the reflector, uh, you got a demerit, what's called a demerit. And that, you know, the person with the most demerits loses. So you want to have as few of those as you can. And I remember one time I'm driving and I kept, I kept running into them. And I, I, my dad is realizing that I'm looking at them. And he's like, listen, stop, stop looking at those. Look straight down the middle of the road. If you look down the middle of the road, what you look at is what you're going to veer towards. You know this. This is, it's, a, it's a principle in life. What you give your attention to is what you move toward because what you move toward is what you focus on. The Apostle Paul's going, set your sights on the realities of heaven. You want to bring the goodness of heaven down in your life? Strive towards that. Give that your attention, not the things of this wor- earth, not the things of this world. And, and, and here's the thing. We don't like to do that. It's because we feel judged. And I just want to free you from that for a second. The, the, the scriptures say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And once you've placed your faith in Christ, God's not judging you by a standard anymore. He's saying, I want you to reach towards something because that's your best shot at experiencing the best in life in this life. And we don't like it because it, we feel judged because every ideal, you know, the, the way things ought to be, it feels like a judge, which doesn't bother us in sports and in business. You look at the best player, you look at the, the best leader you know, and you aspire towards those people. That's what Paul's saying. Look, there's a reality of the way things ought to be, the way you ought to live if you want things to go well for you. Set your sights on those things, the realities of heaven that explain the realities of this world. Just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's not true. If you want it to go well for you, set your sights on the reality of heaven for, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You died to the order of this world and what governs it. And when Christ, when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. 
It basically saying, look, people will think you're crazy in, in the way you're living your life and the decisions that you're making, but you died to this world. You died to this life. Set your sights on the reality of heaven. I know it's strange. I know it's different. But that's the path that leads to life and the fullness of life that Jesus promised for you, promised to provide for you. And he, he's, he's saying, strange, uh, uh, focus on that. And in the end, you'll be vindicated in that. And on top of that, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put, put to death. He's basically, this is, this is this warring idea. We talked about this last week. These two things, these two forces are in opposite, they're in conflict with each other. They're constantly fighting um, and they're fighting and they're battling for your attention. And the sinful nature is appealing to your desire like it always has. We saw this last week. To be like God, which is way things went wrong in the first place. And, and then it shows back up in the garden and it's been showing up in human history ever since. And every different generation and era in life has figured out a way to put me, to put us at the top of the pyramid. And this sinful nature, it wants to be like God and rule our own lives. And, and this governance battle, it's not out there. It's not like, here's my reality and the governance battle's out here. It's out there somewhere in the world in some unseen world. That the battle, Paul's saying, is within you. So he says, put to death. You have to disregard. You have to turn. You have to close your eyes to. You have to, you have to close yourself off to the options to be governed by the sinful nature. Because what dominates, what dominates your attention will ultimately gain your allegiance. Because what you focus on, you move toward and the more invested you are in that, the more you've been pursuing that, the more your attention will cause you to not just be enamored, but you'll be uh, captured by these desires, this life. Now, I'm going to go on in, in the verses, and, and some of you, this is going to be really difficult and challenging. Um, these next verses, he, he gets intensely personal and practical about how you do this. How do you set your sights on the realities of heaven and put to death? How do you, what are the types of things you're putting to death in your life? These are the verses my pastor friend, April Farmer says, makes people's toes bleed. You tracking? So like you might pull your feet back in under your chair if you don't want to get your toes stepped on because these next verses, um, he doesn't discriminate. Everybody gets their toes stepped on. And here's what he's going to talk about. He's basically going to go, hey, there's certain things that have the greatest potential to be governors or rulers of your life. There's a few things. I mean, there's, there's more on the list, but he decides to highlight five. There's five things more than anything else that often become the rulers and the governors of people's lives. And you have to put these things to death. This is an active thing. He starts here, have nothing to do with sexual immorality impurity, lust, and evil desires. And some of you are like, we're talking about this again? It's not me. The Bible talks about it over and over and over. And it's not like we, we, um, we don't need more of that in our world. The truth is, is we've taken the lid. We've, we did a whole series on this. We've taken the lid off, off sexuality and we said, you know, you do you. Be whatever and be whoever, you know, be with whoever you want to be with. And, and, and this is the first one he puts on the list. And, and I won't even write that part of it up here. It's just you, you have a potential to be overtaken by your desires. There's certain desires and they're not all good. Some of those desires are evil desires because this is what the enemy does. He doesn't create anything. He just distorts and he twists the desires. You have a true desire. 
But when you look and you look again and look at what you shouldn't and you watch in private and you set your sights way too low, you aim way too low, you're governed by lust. You settle for pleasure, which doesn't satisfy. The promise is you'll be satisfied. You know, focus on this and go after this and you'll get what you want and, and you don't. And what happens is you, you settle for a distorted, perverted, counterfeit version of your real desire, which is, which is intimacy, something you were wired and designed for, that sexuality is a, is a part of. It's not a sum total of, but it's a part of. And you were wired for that. You were designed to experience something that God created that's really good. But when it gets twisted and distorted, it brings all sorts of hellish stuff up into our lives. Some of you have experienced that. He goes on. Some of you are ready to move on. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person's idolatrous doesn't get any better. You're like, okay, we're going from sexuality to greed. Don't be greedy. Greedy person's an idolater worshiping the things of the world. Really quick, how many of you are greedy? Exactly. None of us think we're greedy. We don't think we're taken over by money. But here's the thing. How many of you at times in your life, you've been tempted to be ruled by money? This is what I mean by that. You've allowed money to be the ultimate decision maker for you. Far too many decisions, as as I can tell, in people's lives, and I've seen this over and over, far too many decisions are governed by an anticipated financial outcome. If the positive, if the financial outcome is positive, it's the right decision. If the financial outcome is negative, it's the wrong decision. It's subtle, but people make decisions like this over and over and over. One last warning, pull your feet in. Saving money is not a reason to move in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's not a reason. I'm not saying that to be funny. It's just not. There there are all sorts of other problems with that. If that's your reason for moving in, don't do it. There's better reasons. There's better reasons not to. Financial gain is not a reason to engage in unethical business practices. It's not. It's not going to go well for you in the long run. It might be a short, short run, a short, uh, you might have a a windfall in the short run. But the truth is, is is it's not going to go well for you in the long run. You're like, well, I can't get ahead. Everybody does it this way. It's fine. Just know you have a truth source that's governing your life. You have something that's ruling and governing you. And it really is money. It's not saying you're greedy. But the love of money is the root of all sorts of kinds of evil and hellishness that gets pulled up into people's lives. Some of you have experienced that. Now is the time, he goes on, to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. He's basically saying, don't be governed by your emotions, especially the negative ones. Negative emotions have a way of betraying us. They betray us all the time. We respond emotionally to things. I mean, this is most violent crimes can be attributed uh, to crimes of passion, which I know most of you are like, I'm, I'm nowhere near creating a, 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 or committing a, a crime of passion. That's fine. But here's the thing. Many of us have been overtaken by our emotions and said and done things that cost us. They cost us relationally. They cost us personally. They cost us uh, uh, professionally. The truth is, is, is all so, sorts of death and destruction happens in our lives. Brokenness is caused by words we can't take back, decisions we made, things we walked out on because we allowed ourselves to be governed by emotions. And Paul said, don't do that. 
That won't go well for you. Uh, He goes on, don't lie. Don't lie to each other, which seems so simple. It's like, is this a kid's lesson? It's like, no, no, don't lie. You know why he says that? Because everybody lies. Did you hear me say that? Everybody lies. Here's why we do it. We, We lie because of our insecurity. Don't lie to each other for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. I'm not saying you're, you're, you're a chronic liar, but we're all tempted to like bend the truth a little bit or cover it up or, or talk about something or, or pretend to be something we're not. Our insecurity and our fear and sometimes our guilt and shame, the, the consequences that would come as a result of telling the truth or unveiling the truth are all reasons we're tempted to be dishonest. And what happens is, is we allow deception to govern our lives. So, sometimes it's our deception. Sometimes it's our allowing ourselves to be deceived because we don't want to deal with reality. And when we lie, we choose fundamentally. This is so ironic. We, we choose to oppose reality. Like, who does that? Good luck with that. You're going to oppose reality. You're, you're, you're telling me you're, you're smart enough, you're strong enough, you can, you can manage things so that you can oppose what's really going on. Well, see, when, when we lie, we, we, we not only lie to, uh, to other people, by the way, we lie to ourselves and we close our eyes to the truth and, and to true reality. And we do that. There, it's, really, it's really a pride. Do you know the probability uh, that your lies will keep reality hidden? It's not good. And, and it's not because you're a truth seeker or somebody, somebody else is a truth seeker and, and you're really, at some point, you're gonna be really all about the truth and you're gonna bring things out in the light, you're gonna bring truth. It's not the reason. The reason is, is because you're freedom seekers. And lies incarcerate us. And eventually what happens is when people live in unreality, when they pretend, when they cover up and they hide, eventually they can't deal with it anymore because they wanna be free. They want to be free of those things. Those things that are in secret. Those things that they've been pretending. Because that's not real life. It's not really living. He goes on, he says, look, make allowance for each other's faults. Like when people tell you the truth. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive other people. And which some of you, and and I totally get this. Some of you are going, you can't be serious. You don't know my situation. If you knew my situation, there's no way. I'm not letting them off the hook. You wouldn't tell me I should forgive this person if, they, if you knew what they did to me. And here's what I tell you. I'm less concerned about that other person and them getting away with something. And I'm more concerned about you. The Apostle Paul's going, look, don't allow yourself to be governed by bitterness. Bitterness destroys you from the inside out. You're you're not hurting that other person by holding the grudge against them, by by not forgiving them. It may hurt them to some degree, but it's hurting you way more. One person said, it's like drinking poison, hoping your offender dies. That's what bitterness does. Paul's going, don't be governed by that. Don't let that rule your life. Don't let it control you. And Side note, not for another day, nobody gets away with anything. 
I've seen this. Eventually, everything comes back like life has a way. God's integrity of the way he created the world, it has a way. And, and in the end, we know that God's gonna judge the world. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. And, and, and we've talked about it before, but, but the truth is, is nobody gets away with anything. He, he finishes this section. He says, above all, clothe yourselves with love. If you wanna let yourself be governed by something, clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony and let the peace that comes from Christ, look at this language, rule in your hearts. If you're gonna let something rule in your hearts, let the love of God and his grace and his mercy that he's shown towards you rule your life. Let the realities of heaven rule your life. Let the instructions of God who he's given to you in the scriptures because he loves you. He wants the best for you. He let that rule in your heart because when, when Christ and his, his way and his instructions, God's will rules your, li- rules your life, it results in love and peace and not hate and not chaos and not brokenness and not the hellish things that we pull up into our lives by being governed by all those other things. See, what governed Christ's life was the will of the Father. At his most difficult moment, some of you remember the story just before he was going to be arrested. He had been betrayed. He knew he was about to be arrested. He's in the garden, he's praying to the father and he's like, look, there's gotta be another way, but I know that this is why I've come. And I know your will is what's best and not, your, not my will, but your will be done is what he said. And, and not only that, this is how he taught us to pray. When Jesus, when, they, when he was asked, hey, how do you pray? Think about this. I want you to listen to this. This is governance language. We've been talking about what governs your life. This is, this is governance language. He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. You're the head of our family. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. I'm gonna lift your name up above every other name. You're at the top. I'm not at the top of the pyramid. You're at the top of the pyramid. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on my life, as it is in heaven. God, help me to bring your goodness down into my life and not be deceived and allow other things to govern my life. I want to put you in your proper places. This isn't as much a, a prayer to memorize and recite every day, although that's fine if you do that. But, but the truth is, is, is this is a right posture towards God, a right way of thinking about the world, a right way of thinking about your life. This is a prayer of surrender and dependence on God to govern your life, to recenter yourself and go, okay, God, I see you in your right place and you're the governor of my life. I need to come back. You're the governor. You're the ruler of my life. So here's my question for you. Who or what is governing your life? If you're not sure, just pay attention to what do you think your ultimate truth source is? I mean, where do, how do you evaluate all things, all decisions? Like what is the source of that? And, and if you don't, you're not sure, just focus, what do you have your, your attention focused on? I mean, oftentimes our attention gets focused on these things, something we feel, something we want, something we don't have, an amount we don't have, uh, pretending or keeping something hidden. The more attention you focus on that, the more you'll give your life's allegiance toward it. And the more your life will come into alignment 
with that thing, with that thing that's governing your life, your life will come into alignment. If your, your life's being governed by your desires, your beliefs, your behaviors and your actions will come into alignment with your desires. They'll come into alignment with your pursuit of wealth or your emotions. So this is what the Apostle Paul says. He's like, look, these things, these are the tools that the enemy uses to pull hell up into your life, to create a mess of your life, to get you into all sorts of hellish situations. You have to consciously, day in and day out, you have to put to death these things. You have to put to death certain evil desires. You have to put to death certain evil pursuits. You have to put to death your, your proclivity to hide, to respond to your emotions, to hold a grudge. The truth is, is each and every day there's a battle when you wake up. This is what we've talked about. And it's a battle for your allegiance, for your alignment of your life and, and what you set your sights on, what you aim your life toward, it is ruling your life. It's governing your life. It's not my opinion. That is reality. The reality is, is what you give your attention to will eventually demand your allegiance and your life will come into alignment with. So what rules your life? What's governing your life? What's governing your sexuality? What's governing your finances? What's governing your emotions? What's governing your words? What's governing your heart? Which one of these? Maybe it's something else that's not up here. And if something else came to mind, that's not me. That's the spirit of God speaking to you today. Going, there's something else on the throne. There's something else in the governing, ruling spot in your life. What are you allowing to govern your life? You owe it to yourself to know, to, to at least be honest with that. It's the first step. What are you most tempted to allow to overtake you and govern you? The world's telling you, you do you. You do you. It's, it's your life. I mean, your ideas, your beliefs, your lifestyle, that is your own personal choice. You're an adult. You don't need anybody to tell you what to do. And your, your path, the path you're choosing, it's equally valid. It's equally valuable to any other path and any other set of values. The problem is, it's not. And while it sounds good and it fits with our current public opinion, it's wrong. It's dead wrong. Life proves it. The hell we pull up into our lives proves it. You just ask anybody, who's allowed one of these things to govern their lives too long. They'll describe the death and destruction that they've pulled up into their lives and into their relationships and into their families. You see, Paul was right. We're not free to do what we want. We either choose to submit to the governance of heaven. We focus our, our mind's attention on the realities of heaven, on the ideals of heaven, and we reach. We're not going to fully attain them, but we reach toward them. We don't feel judged by them. We either reach towards that and we lean towards it or we get overtaken and governed by one of these things. We pull all sorts of hell up into our lives and the lives of people around us. 
There's two options. The world says you do you. The invitation of Jesus is to look up to your heavenly father and say, your will be done. You do you. Your will be done. Two very different approaches to life. Scripture says you'll take one or the other. And in the family of God, we have a perfect heavenly father who's inviting us. He gives good gifts to his children. He's inviting you to trust him in all areas of his life, of your life so that he can bring the goodness of heaven down into your life. Our family. Um, for years, we've talked about our family as Team Thomas. Uh, Jen and I, uh, when we first started having kids, we were trying to figure out a way to talk about our kids with our kids about why we do things differently than other families. It's not a judge. We don't want our kids judging their friends or other people or, or preaching at them, you know, in, in weird ways. Uh, we, we wanted them to understand though why we do things differently. It was like, hey, in Team Thomas, this is just how we do it. This is what me and mom have decided. Me and mom lead our family. And so we've decided this is how we operate in Team Thomas. This is how we, this is how we act. These are things we do. These are things we don't do. And and we're not going to judge other people, but some things your friends get to do, you're not going to get to do. And, and so um, just recently, as a matter of fact, last week, um, both our younger boys uh, on their own in, in different days uh, decided that they wanted uh, to make uh, the decision. They wanted to go on record and make a decision uh, to ask Jesus into their heart is the way they say it and choose to follow Jesus with their life. Yeah, isn't that awesome? You can clap for that. Um, thank you for that. Um, they made this decision. It's something we've never pushed them towards. We just, you know, bring them to church, expose them the truth, share about openly about our faith at home. But we want it to be their decision, not our decision. We want them, we want them to come at, at their, their own time. And it was initiated by both of them. But my wife made a comment at one point about um, uh, one of our kids saying, hey, so how's the newest member of the family of God doing this morning? So we made that comment about one of our, our boys and a few nights later, we're laying in bed and, and one of the, other, the other one of our boys said to me, he said, Dad, can you tell me a little bit about that? Like, I'm, in, I'm, I'm a part of Team Thomas. I'm in our family. But what does that mean to be a part of the family of God? How is that different? I said, I'm so glad you asked. And we had this amazing conversation. And I said, hey, listen, when you were younger, like the only way I could un- help you understand is I knew you saw me as your dad. And I knew if, if I loved you well, you'd listen to me and you'd see me as, as somebody that you could trust to govern your life and to give you the right directions. And maybe you'd trust me more than you trust what your friends say or other people. And I said, but here's what you need to know about me and mom. We decided a long time ago that Team Thomas, our family, we're a part of a much bigger family. It's the family of God. And this isn't me and mom's rules. This isn't the way we've decided. This is us trying to trust our heavenly father, God, who tells us the way in which we should go, the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do. And we're trying to do our best. And the way I ask you to trust me times, at times, even when you don't understand about things I tell you that are good for you and aren't good for you, our heavenly father does the same thing. And me and your mom, we're trying to do our best to guide you in that way to live our lives in that way. And it sounds like a great kid's story, but here's what I want you to know. Your heavenly father today, he's looking down on you as his kids. 
He's going, I want the best for you in life. Will you trust me? I know you don't understand sometimes, but we don't do that in our family. I have your best interest at heart. I love you. Will you allow me to govern your life? And most of the time it comes down to just choosing to go, okay, God, Father, I trust you. Your will be done. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your goodness, your righteousness be delivered from heaven into my life. I trust you today. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for somebody who's here today and they're wrestling with something in their heart. There's an area of their life they know they've not surrendered to your will. And they've experienced some hellish things or they see it on the horizon, it's coming. I just pray that today you'd give them the wisdom and the clarity to know that it's not good for them. It's not good for them to allow those things to govern their lives, to dictate their behaviors. I pray today that maybe you'd help them to find freedom from that. Freedom from that governing the direction and the path of their life. I pray that today they would choose to repent, which is just a big church word for turning and going in a new direction. I pray that you would help them to know what it is to take the next step to repent and walk, to take a a first step in a new direction towards surrendering that thing to you, towards putting to death that thing that's governing their life. Maybe during the next, this next song as, we, as April sings over us, would you stir in their heart? Would you help them to know what it is to set their, their mind, their attention on the realities of heaven and the goodness of heaven, the guidance of heaven, that would lead them to the best in life. And I pray in the next few moments, you'd give them the courage and the willingness to just surrender it to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.